Hello, guys. So, reading from Esther 5. On, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, Now what is your petition? It will be given you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be granted. Esther replied, My petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above the other nobles and officials. And that's not all, Haman added. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave. And she has invited me along with the king tomorrow now. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife, Jeresh, and all his friends said to him, Have a gallows built, 75 feet high, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai hanged on it. Then go with the king to the dinner and be happy. This suggestion delighted Haman, um, and he had the gallows built. Chapter 6. <clears throat> that night, the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honour and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. The king said, who is in, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the palace to speak to the king about hanging Mordecai on the gallows he had erected for him. His attendants answered, Haman is standing there in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. Then Haman entered. The king asked him, What should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought to himself, who is there that the king would rather honour than me? So he answered the king, For the man the king delights to honour, have them bring a royal robe the king has worn and a horse the king has ridden, one, on, one with a 
a royal crest placed on its head. Then let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them, let them robe the man the king has delights to honour and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Go, at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horses and do just as if you had suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman got the robe and the horse. He rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, This is what is done for the man the king delights to honour. Afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home and his head covered in grief and told Zeresh, his wife, all his friends, everything that happened to him. His advisers and his wife Zeresh said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried Haman away to the banquet Queen Esther had prepared. Chapter 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet, and as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given you. What is your request? Even after half of the kingdom, it will be granted. The Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, your majesty, and it is pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition, and spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet, because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Jerusalem asked Queen Esther, Who is he? Where is he, the man who has dared to do such a thing? Esther said, An adversary and enemy disviled Haman. Then Haman was terrified before the king and queen. The king got up in a rage, wrapped his wine, and went out into the palace garden. But Haman realized that the king had already decided his fate, staying behind to beg Queen Esther for his life. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is with me in the house? As soon as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. Then Habona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching to a height of 50 cubits stands by Haman's house. He had it set up for Mordecai, who speak up to have the king. He spoke up to the to have the king. The king said, 
impaled him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai. Then the king's fury subsided. It's my privilege, and let me just leave, move up here. It's too loaded. <laughs> yeah. um, this is Taeyang. Uh, you can greet me, but I can say hello and hi there on the you know, YouTube streaming. I can show my smiling there. <laughs> just let me pray first. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Thank you for showing us that you are the God of great reversals in the way you protected your people when they were oppressed in a foreign land in the book of Esther. Help us to also joyfully participate in your great reversal story as part of your people in Christ. Amen. I love a great reversal theme. It happens in a story when a character's circumstances change so dramatically that they become the exact opposite of what they had been. We can see many examples of this in stories, in books, movies, and sports. For example, uh, as a fan of baseball, uh, sorry for the cricket fans, <laughs> I can't help but think of 2014 Boston Red Sox in the Fall Classic. Boston's comeback against the Yankees in 2014 may be the most impressive series reversal ever. As the Red Sox became the first team in Major League Baseball history to overcome a 0-3 defeat in a seven-game series. The Red Sox took the championship for the first time since 1918. As you may have noticed, the book of Esther is full of reversals. And in today's passage, I want to explore the biggest ones. In chapter 5, we can see two very different characters, Queen Esther and the head of the royal officials, Haman. Let's look at Queen Esther first. Chapter 5 shows us the wonderful transformation of an ordinary woman into a true queen. Here, she is described as a bold and assertive woman. Esther put off her fasting clothes and donned her beautiful royal robes upheld by the prayers of God's people. The king addressed her as Queen Esther. This is the first time in the book that she is directly addressed, Queen Esther. From the book of Esther, chapter 5-1, we see she acts not only as a queen of Persia, but also 
as a queen of the people of God who were identified with her. Furthermore, when Queen Esther invited the king and Haman to a banquet, the Jewish orphan girl who was taken to the king's palace now had the two most powerful men in the kingdom following her direction. In chapter 1, Queen Vasti was deposed because she did not appear at the feast for the king as ordered. But we see a reversal that in this instance, the king went to the feast for Queen Esther. That in, she is transformed before our eyes into a woman of dignity and courage. And we see how God used this difficult life experience to grow her in important ways. This was indeed a transformational moment for Esther. What about Haman? The story of Haman is a sobering reminder of the gravity of the sin of pride which has blinded him. Haman left Queen Esther's first banquet happy and in high spirits. Everything seemed to be shaping up for him. But as soon as he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, and Mordecai refused to show his honor, Haman was filled with rage. When Haman got home and gathered an audience, he launched into a prideful rant, boasting about his wealth, his pregnancy, and the honors he had received from the king. However, none of this would give him Haman any satisfaction, as long as Mordecai the Jew was sitting at the king's gate. Haman had everything the world envies. However, his fatal problem was to focus on the very tiny things he didn't have rather than what he owned. He is an example of a man's sinful desire to bring everything under his control and subdue it. God's solution for this temptation is to live in a state of gratitude. Do you remember the song called 10,000 Reasons? 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. What do we need to find? The goodness of God. So we recognize that there are 10,000 reasons that our hearts can find to thank God for his goodness. From 6.4 to the end of chapter 7, we can see the great reversal of the fortunes of Mordecai and Haman. Have a look at the screen. In 6.11, so Haman got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is, the, what is done for the man the king delights to honor. But what about 4, 1, and 6? 
When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. So Hadak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. We can see another reversal that in the open square of the city, the same place where Mordecai was sackcloth and mourned, he later appeared glorious attired in the king's robes. In contrast, the story for Haman was very different. When Esther told the king about the planned fate of her people and named Haman as an adversary and enemy, this vile Haman. The king discovered that Haman was the must mind of the plot. Don't forget what had happened the previous night. Mordecai was the man the king delights to honor. From the viewpoint of the king, to hang Mordecai would be looked very much like Haman was part of the plot to destroy the king himself. As a result, Haman met his death on the gallows he had prepared for Mordecai. What brought the entire story to swing to a complete reversal? Have a look at 6-1-3. The night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bictana and Trash, two of the king's officials who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Jerusalem. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him. His attendants answered. The pivotal moment in this book is the night when the king can't sleep as this leads to the sudden turn of events that reverse the expected action. It hinges not on the bravery of Queen Esther or the advice of Mordecai or even the stupidity of Haman, but on a seemingly ordinary occurrence. The king could not sleep. What? Insomnia? If you expect dramatic miracles, dreams or visions, charismatic leaders or prophets to direct what is happening, sorry. There are no such things here. The king's remedy for insomnia was to order the book of the Chronicles to be read aloud. The Chronicles were the record of every official transaction during the king's reign. Perhaps he wanted to be entertained. Perhaps he hoped the dry reading material would put him to sleep. 
everything happening seems to be a coincidence. Do you feel this is the case? Don't overlook these coincidences. The king can't sleep the night before his second banquet. Coincidentally, he asked for the reading of the record. Coincidentally, the bravery or the loyalty of Mordecai is brought up. Coincidentally, it just so happens that Haman, of all people, is the one who should be walking by the king's quarter at the very moment. You got it. It is important to note that these so-called unrelated situations or events underpin the central message in this book, which is the providential care of God for his people. The fact that this is such an insignificant event, a sleepless night, which some of, may, some of us may experience at the moment. I did sometimes under COVID, sleepless night. Further highlights that God's hand is evident in each of these seemingly insignificant details. God was clearly at work that night. By highlighting the great reversals in the book of Esther, we are encouraged to see God behind the scenes. God behind the scenes. We see that God rescued his people because he cared for his people. At the same time, as readers of the book, we are also challenged to see the hand of the unseen God in the events surrounding our own lives. Can you see, God is not mentioned, but not only God's name, but also his covenant, Jerusalem, sacrificial system, not any religious things mentioned there. But this seemingly chance event reveals that he is the central character in the story. In other words, it reminds us that God sovereignly, through the ordinary circumstances of human life, protected his people. There is another thing I want you to observe. Notice the reversal of advice of the wife and friends of Haman. Have a look at the screen. 5.14, they said, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy your life, enjoy yourself. But 613, since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has studied, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. Notice also the 
the language of Jewish origin. It's interesting to look at the words, you will surely come to ruin. It feels pretty discouraging, doesn't it? Why have they said this? What is the inference? They would probably have learned of God's power from the storytelling of their ancestors. Let me explain the biblical storyline. We will see Haman's hostility to Mordecai and Jews was not simply personal. Have you noticed the genealogies in the book? There are two, one for Mordecai and the other one for Haman. Have a look at the screen. For Mordecai, a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, the son of Kis. Haman, King Jerzyk honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite. And Sritan, Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Do you see what is revealed here? I will show you the match between God's people and their opponents in three rounds. Have a look at the screen again. There are three rounds. This chart shows there is a history to the relationship between Jews and the Agatai of Amalek. Agagai is hard to pronounce. It shows us that actually we are watching round three first, like a time reversal movie. As you can see, round two is between King Saul of Israel and Agat, the king of Amalekites, more specifically. And from the genealogy, we know Mordecai of the tribe of Benjamin is the son of Kis. It sounds very familiar. This would be the same Kis who was the father of Saul, but it probably meant that Mordecai was a distant relative of Saul's father. And the Agagite is in the line of the royal family of Amalek. So when Samuel 15.5, he, Saul, took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Haman was a descendant of Agag of Amalek. In 1 Samuel 15, we see the reason that God rejected Saul as king was because of his disobedience when he dealt with the Amalekites. Now, for round one. This historical hardship had its origin in one of the very famous battle scenes in Exodus. Do you remember who was fighting against Israel when Aaron and who held Moses' hands up? Do you remember? Have a look at the screen again. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rebidim. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. 
Amalek fought against Israel in the wilderness when the Israelites were weak and exhausted. Therefore, they were counted as perpetual enemies of Israel and were to be destroyed. So Deuteronomy 25:17 to 19 Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt when you were weary and worn out they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind they had no fear of God you shall brought out the name of Amalek from under heaven do not forget. Very serious command. God rules over history and he will exalt his people and destroy his enemies. And friends, as we read Esther's story, notice what God is doing here. The reversal is God's vehicle for deliverance. It's how he works. God steps in and reverses the situation, transforming it into a great event in which the participants are rescued and God is glorified. It shows the utter defeat of his adversary and the power and ability of God's actions to ensure the safety of his people. It sounds great, and it's exciting for God's people. And as we look at this show of God's providence in Esther, it is interesting to see that these points points us forward to the greatest reversal of all when God used the death of his only son to bring about the salvation of all his people. That's why we are to come to Jesus to be rescued from the destruction we deserve for our sin. Deliverance is in Christ alone. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus is the climax of the great themes of reversal found all throughout the Old and New Testaments, and nowhere is the great reversal more evident than in the seeming weakness of the Lamb that is slain at yet sitting on the throne in Revelation. My sisters and brothers in Christ, Have you experienced a reversal of fortune in your own life? Have you seen reversals in the lives of others? It is only this great reversal that is able to bring us hope, even when we don't understand where God is or what he is doing. As followers of Jesus, sometimes we are struggling sometimes facing trials, and sometimes even taking risks. But the truth that God will surely save his people will steer us to follow and obey God, no matter what happens. Trust the Lord and taste his grace 
and power to reverse our seemingly ordinary experiences into a turning point in the lives of other people. On a practical level, let me encourage you to think about a few key turning points in your life. How has God already used seemingly insignificant experiences to change the direction of your life? Let me tell you a story about how Hannah, my wife, became connected to EPC, Epping Presbyterian Church here. Uh, Looking back to 2008, I was an overseas student studying at Macquarie University, but with no thought or intention about migrating to Australia. It's surprising. At that time, Hannah was attending an ESL class, not at EPC, but somewhere else in Epping. Her ESL teacher had grown up with John Peacher. You know John Peacher from 1030? Yeah. Kim's dad. <laughs> I can say. Yeah. And was still his close friend. While they were playing tennis together one, one, one Monday, John talked about the retirement of Brian Kay, the previous organist of EPC. And this was a seemingly ordinary conversation but it was a turning point to Hannah's and my life in Australia. Because as a result of this information, the ESL teacher encouraged Hannah to contact EPC, and now the whole family has migrated to Australia, and Hannah is still here as our church organist. I'm pretty sure John... He had that casual chat with his friend. Similarly, praise the Lord for the mountains and valleys, your seemingly ordinary experiences in your personal story of faith, and look for opportunities, share them with someone who doesn't know about God. Even if you think your story is ordinary, seemingly, in, 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 seemingly it's not very uh, important for people in your life, it may be a testimony of God's providence and love. As we finish up today, let's spend some time together praying. Whether you are in church or at home watching our streaming, hello again. (laughs) Remember, we worship a God of great reversals. Thank him for the reversals of fortune in your life when you became part of uh, his people. Encourage one another that God never stops working among us, preparing places, opportunities, choices, and options in the future. We can rejoice that nothing happens by chance, and then even the sad and hurtful things of life are under God's control. So let's pray 
quietly in our hearts together until Mike comes to lead us in pastoral prayer.